to the Swa Dharma podcasts. I'm Brad. And I'm Rachel. And we're smoking the fumes at Delphi. <laughs> Today we're going to begin with a little reflection on the meaning of life and followed by a response and discussion of philosophy and theology and um, something else <laughs> and uh, religion, right? Um, and then a word from our sponsors, Abby's Blue Hole Brewing, deeper and wetter as always, before we dig into a little Meister Eckhart. Today we've got some music from Sam Henshaw, 21 Pilots, Beyonce, and Mac Miller. Of course, our news segment called WTF, and our always popular segment, Homegrown. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope you enjoy this episode of Swadharma. So what exactly are the fumes of Delphi? Okay, so yeah, smoking the fumes of Delphi. So like when, um, so the the oracle at Delphi, in like, um, you know, ancient Greece, the um people would go to the the Delphi, go to the oracle when they wanted advice or that kind of stuff, and mm-hmm. she would give prophecies. Um, but what she would do is there was like a um like a crevice um where these fumes were coming out like smoke and smoking fumes, some sort of gas, was coming out of the earth. You know, it's probably, I mean, we don't know. It's like probably some methane or ether or something, um, but uh, some sort of hallucinogen that made her, yeah, see visions and speak in tongues and that kind of stuff. And then there was an interpreter who would interpret it. So, um, but yeah, like in um, in the Matrix, you've seen the Matrix. Yeah. So like in the Matrix, uh, when, when they go to the Oracle of Delphi, like she's literally smoking, she's yeah. sm- <laughs> sniffing the cookies and all that kind of stuff. And she, and she has the inscription over the door, know thyself, just like in at the Delphi. So yeah, smoking the fumes at Delphi might have other meanings too, but you know, that's good enough. All right. So yeah, so this week in my... Um, in the God question class, which you've kind of been like following along yeah. and like reading the syllab- reading the same stuff. And you've already read like a lot of the text in there. Mm. So, um, so this week, like basically we, I feel like the class isn't coming together the way I want it to. So, um, you know, the students, um, uh, the students are all reading the text. Like they're doing the work. They're, um, they're really smart, really engaged, really motivated, um, class. Um, but something about the class just isn't working. And I know that it's me, but I also think maybe I'm, I'm putting texts in front of them that are um, just not the right texts. And I want to maybe spend more time going back to the primary text in that class. But so anyway, for Tuesday, um, we just basically we're throwing out the rest of the syllabus um, unless we decide to keep whatever we want to keep. And I said that instead of reading the assignment, um, I wanted them to come up with a, like a two-minute explanation of the meaning and purpose of life. Um, and then so I didn't think it was right to ask them to do that unless I 
ask the same thing of myself. So I wrote one, but it's 10 minutes and I'm not going to read it. Um, but uh, it all comes down to these different metaphors that I use in class about the circle and the anchor. Um, and you know the circle from Kusa. Yeah. So what is, what is the circle as far as you understand it from Kusa? Because it's a bit different than I do in class. But um, So I guess I think of it as a circle uh, necessarily has to have a center. And so if we think of that center as truth, um, and then we're all standing at some point on the circle, um, where we're going to all have a different perspective on on the center or what truth is um, mm -hmm. because we're we're each standing in our own in our own place and so because of that reason we're going to look at things from a different perspective and so we're right. all going to have a different a different perspective on truth and then kusa goes a step further by making the circle a sphere so then you have an, an yeah. infinite number of the perspectives. whole universe yeah and not just human right looking in on that same on that same point but we all occupy our own space so we're all going to look at it a little differently yeah no that's awesome that's great um so the way i've started thinking about my courses um i think a lot about the psychology of the class and like how it's a journey from beginning to end and the things that um shankara talks so much about you know the importance of thinking about when you teach students what um, so, you know, you can't just give it all at the beginning um, and you have to think about when to reveal what. Um, Kusa does the same thing, too, actually. Um, so, you know, I try to think about my classes that way as well. And um, so one of the ways I've started thinking about it is like um, one of the ways I use the circle in class, the way I use the circle at the beginning of the semester um, is to emphasize the difference between I and the world. So those are two of the first three um, principles of philosophy, you know, nature of the self, nature of the world, nature of this um, God or, excuse me, or the real or, you know, whatever you want to call that third thing that's unchanging, Brahman or whatever, but uh, you need something that's um, real and stable. What uh, Socrates calls the good. He also calls it the really real. Um, but uh, anyway, so if you think about um, at the beginning of the semester, um, I talk about sort of what you said with Kusa, like the universe is an infinite sphere. Mm -hmm. And so if the universe is an infinite sphere, then that means that I am literally at the center, right? So he said, you know, the universe is like a, an infinite sphere whose circumference is nowhere and center is everywhere. So mm -hmm. then you're a center and I'm center, but I'm the center of my world and you're the center of your world because that's just what I and world mean mm -hmm. to be um, at the center. Um, but then when we get that third thing in, then where do we put it, right? Like if I am in the center and then the world is around me, then where is this third thing? And I think it's once we start talking, once the discourse shifts to that third thing, whether it's justice um, or truth or beauty or God or goodness or whatever, um, as soon as we start shifting towards that third thing, um, then all of a sudden I am no longer at the center of the world, right? But instead we are around this third thing. Mm -hmm. And then so it turns an, it turns an I over and against a world 
right? So me at the center and the universe around me, um, and then goes towards exactly what you're saying that like, then I stand on the edge and we're all gazing at truth together. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. Which is, I feel like also, um, is very important when it comes to ethics, shifting, yeah. shifting that focus away from you at the center to, you know, now ethics are in the center and we are around Exactly. That's just one example. <laughs> well, that's the, yeah, that is the, the most exorbitant and the most important one. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the whole thing with the cup, right? Um, so like the cup form and function. So it's one thing to talk about what a cup is. It's another thing to like do it, right? So it's one thing to talk about God or justice or um, ethics. Ethic, you know, it's one thing to, yeah, to talk about ethics. It's another thing to do ethics to implement it yeah right. yeah exactly so um yeah so that's my purpose uh. so i wanted to ask um okay so before <laughs> before we started you asked me a good question i said we should talk about it okay so what exactly is the difference between you teaching a religion class in a philosophy class and a theology class because you said I've never taken a theology class with you and I'm now uh I feel sadly mistaken because I thought I had so yeah no um I wish I could teach theology at Fitchburg and I mean I um I can uh, I can teach Indian theology and they just call it philosophy um because <laughs> yeah um because the philosophy department doesn't know what to do with non-Western philosophy, so, you know. Right. And then, um, and yeah, neither does the theology department. So <laughs> I can call, I can just, you know, do the same text. So on the on the Indian side, I just do the same stuff. But it doesn't work that way on the Western side. Like, if I were to start teaching Plato in my theology class, first of all, we would miss out on some good theologians. Um but also people would just think it's weird. It's like, no, you're doing, you do Plato and philosophy class, even though he's constantly talking about God and meaning and truth and ethics. And even though all Christian theology kind of comes back to Plato. Right. So, um, so you can't really understand most of it unless you understand a lot of Plato. Um, so, um, so the biggest difference is at, you know, Fitchburg State, I teach philosophy, which means I teach Plato and then Advaita Vedanta. Um, and I do basically the same stuff there that I do, like the Kata Upanishad, the Bhagavad Gita, and um, all those kind of things, because they're just really good philosophy, the Upanishads. Um, but, uh, yeah, I can't um, I can't teach things like Cone. At, I feel like I can't teach Cone at um, Fitchburg State. I've tried to st teach James Cone in my religion class, mm -hmm. but then it also seems to cross a line for some people like well you're teaching theology now and it's christian theology and it's like well we are studying christianity you know so can i teach christian theology in the christianity section of right. the world religions course um and then also hindu theology in the you know world religion right. course but i also do so one of the things is like what is what is the study of religion mm -hmm. um and i think for most scholars when you talk about the study of religion there's just so many things that you have to include like you know 
how could you how could you have a religion class and not talk about ritual mm-hmm. and not talk about um, practices and cultural things like how people dress or why they do the things that they do or um, you know cultural gatherings holidays secular you know that sort of sacred sacred event events and um, what is the practice of the social practice and um, so many things that go into the study of religion that we don't talk about in theology um like focusing on texts i don't know am i making any sense i know i'm rambling and saying a lot no i i i think i'm following what you're saying so what so what do you think i'm saying just that so i feel like the reason why you you get that kind of um lashing back when you when you bring in christian texts i don't know if there's just kind of like a bias around it or like a sensitivity to it yeah. so like you can bring in like you know hindu philosophy versus like hindu hindu philosophy or the or bring in theology but you can say that it's philosophy but with christianity i feel like because it's almost closer to home there's like a sensitivity to it yeah like it's like a taboo but it also feels like if I if I start talking about Christian theology at um, Fitchburg State and start t- t- teaching things like Cone, the people that re- really upset are the Christian students. Right. The non-Christian students are like, hey, this is cool. Right. Um, and I never knew this. And then the, the Christian students are like, no, this is not why I'm here and you're invading my, my freedom to believe things right. that aren't con- remotely connected to the bible you know mm. um and uh so there's it's the pushback the pushback i don't think there's anybody in the administration who really cares um but uh but the pushback comes more from the students who are like you know i didn't come to fitchburg state to to learn anything about jesus um right and and you're like, also it's it is a religion class you know? right <laughs> um i feel like it's because you're i don't know i'm sure many people uh, like myself uh, before have a very like have a very rigid set of views and preconceived notions and then when you come you know when you step in the door and then challenge those mm-hmm. uh, deeply rooted patterns of thought that can be very unsettling for some people yeah like they're um, even if their views are ignorant they're comfortable <laughs> So challenging people to think outside of that comfort zone can make them very yeah, well and us yeah and I feel like that's what you do in a theology course. That's the point. Right? So yeah, in a theology course, I'm not doing my job unless I'm getting people to fundamentally question everything that they believe, right? I mean, you got to get to that crisis of faith before you can make any real decisions about what you believe. Otherwise, you're just following what your parents and your, you know, whoever else you know told you what to think but like once you once the house of cards starts to crumble then you can be like wait i I liked this piece you know (laughs) let me come back and pick up this piece or whatever um but uh which is dangerous i talked to my um intro class on thursday uh, thursday about this like you know um I have I'm fearful sometimes because like the the way the method is to drive people towards the total nihilism right to get into that deeply nihilistic mm. there is no reason there is no purpose there is no um, 
reason or meaning or purpose, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and so why am I here? Right. Right. Um, and then once you reach that deeply nihilistic state, the state that made the Buddha sit underneath the tree, right. Or the, um, the state that makes a, um, Aranyaka, wait, no, a Vanaprastha, the third stage, a Grihasta, why would he become a Vanaprastha or go out into the forest? It's because he's reached that state of nihilism. Um, or, uh, yeah, what so many of the Christian authors call, call that dark night of the soul, you know, where you reach that, that state of just feeling small and insignificant and pointless. Then you can begin to figure out what really, what things really matter to you. I feel like crisis of faith is a very a very accurate phrase to coin the your, the experience of taking one of your classes. Yeah. I feel like I was easily pushed to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Or perhaps was already I was already kind of floating. I I I did um I can't believe you were a nursing student when you started yeah, in class. Yeah. It was, it was in the wrong place. No, but, you would have enjoyed nursing about as much as I would enjoy nursing, I think. Yeah, no. And, <clears throat> like really super important, and I'm glad that they're nurses, but I'm also glad I'm not one of them. Right. And like how when we talked about the uh, Nietzsche text, um, when he says that we've... Uh, oh, the Nietzsche text. Oh, right. yeah, Nietzsche. Yeah. Um, how he says... That we've like cut anchor. Right. That was sort of me stepping right. into your class. And yeah. then it took We've become a, unmoored. It yep. took a that's small it. it took a small push and then I entered a that crisis right. of faith. See, yeah, that's exactly what Nietzsche is saying. That's exactly what Nietzsche is saying. Is that he's um the madman is bothered, he's disturbed, he's gone mad in part because he has entered that deep nihilistic state mm -hmm. and he's recognizing the fact that we can't function like that society doesn't yeah. work a nihilistic society will not work we're all going so, to yeah. <laughs> so then you need something you need that third thing whatever it is you know pick one but right. then, but the problem is how do you pick one for um an entire society and um and yeah the the people who were laughing at him uh, people who didn't believe in God, um, who are laughing at the madman, mm -hmm. they just don't get it. They don't understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. She asked me, son, when I grow old, will you buy me? of gold and when your father turns to stone will you take care of me she asked me son when i grow will you buy me a house of gold and when your father turns to stone will you take care of me all right that was uh, House of Gold by 21 Pilots and we're both pretty big pi 21 Pilots fans we didn't we're even before we got to know each other I pale in comparison to you though so what is your what is your fascination with 21 Pilots what's your favorite thing about them um, other than the music I think I just love that every 
every album that they write, like they do a lot of really good storytelling. Um, and there's just like so many layers to everything that they write. So we were talking about prior to the podcast. Um, so they have their self-titled, which that's their first album. And that's got a lot of really meaty stuff. Um, that's where a lot of the, I guess the religious allegory, I feel like is very strong in that album. And then Blurry Face is just a whole story in itself about like Tyler dealing with his depression. Um, and That's like the what whole, pulled me in. My yeah. name's Blurry Face and I care what you think. Like this whole other persona of his, his battle, like his struggling with depression and stuff. Yeah. Um, and all the songs in that are, are connected. Um, and then you have Trench, which is their most recent album. Um, still... Uh, so much storytelling and I also love how much effort they put into because they're they're concept albums Mm -hmm. so like it you know you follow them from beginning to end and even in between the two albums they would like on social media they would like uh, drop hints kind of uh, leading up to the release of a new album like things you had to they had things online that you had to like decipher and like in like decode messages like it's just they like put so much effort into the development of their albums um but then trench uh this whole storytelling of nico and the niners so the bishops and everything and how he lives in this um kind of i'm sure there's a name for it that i am not uh, aware of but it's this almost like a cattle like, a catacomb almost like oh, a, a catacomb and like the, at the top of it um they make reference to it because a big theme in trench is the vulture okay and how at the at like i guess at the top of one of these towers they used to leave bodies out and mm. they would let vultures like pick the flesh off them okay because it would like make the bones clean and pure before you put them away oh, okay sure um so that's like the whole theme of it and whatnot and and there are songs from blurry it's a nihilistic is, is it well so they so there are it's a darker place so yeah stuff? so there are there are um songs in blurry face that tie into this but uh trench is a uh, a lot about tyler struggling with his own faith and questioning his faith like that is a large part of what the album is for him okay. like so you have like the self-titled where it's like there's so much uh, religious allegory in that. And then you have Blurry Face, so he's like struggling with his own, you know, yeah. mental health and personal things. And then in Trench now, he's like he's like questioning his faith, which I feel like is something that that's kind of a cycle that we all go through anyways. Yeah, I feel like right. naturally anyone that has... Uh, anyone that's paying attention. Right. Anyone that has some sort of relationship with something higher than themselves, you right. go through these phases of feeling stronger and weaker, um, having more faith or then sometimes doubting it and questioning it. Yeah. So I feel like I can very much relate to that. Um, yeah. I mean, those cycles. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, existentialism is only as good as your grasp is on that sense of purpose, you know? And then so when shit goes bad and you get into right. dark places, then yeah, it's, it's, it's harder to hold your grip onto it. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I think we all go through cycles like that. And, yeah, um, that's cool. Um, so we move to um, uh, Eckhart. Or... Oh, yeah, that's right. Now we've got a word from our sponsor. 
So today's episode of Svadharma, yes, yeah. <laughs> is proudly sponsored by Abby's Blue Hole Brewing Company, Deeper and Wetter. Abby's Blue Hole Brewing Company was founded and is operated by Shady Buffett. Oh, hey, Rachel, did you know... <laughs> This is so bad. Did you know that Shady Buffett is the son of Jimmy Buffett? That's what he told me. That's cool. So Jimmy Buffett drinks Abby's Blue Hole beer? Oh, uh, well, I guess no one's, like, told Jimmy Buffett yet about Shady, so uh, it's probably best we just keep that quiet. Abby's Blue Hole Brewing, deeper and wetter. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Uh, so what... um. Uh, we are enjoying some we're actually not and lying um yeah we're ran out of abby's blue hole brewing today so we're drinking allagash and what is that one woodstock um, exit woodstock exit and brewery yeah woodstock and brewery and drinking some allagash dark um halloween or it's haunted house haunted dark house ale. Right. dark ale hoppy dark ale it is yummy <laughs> um all right so Eckhart. You'd never read Eckhart before. No. And then you read this crazy hard stuff that we're reading in my God question class. And um, so we've got, um, you picked one from the Latin section. So from his commentary on John. Um, mm -hmm. So the, all of this is just on his commentary. He, I don't think he ever really gets past the fourth verse, really. <laughs> um, <laughs> at least not in these. Most of it's on the first verse. So in the beginning was the word, in archaean hologos, kai hologos, prostontheo, kai hothios, damn it, hologos, um, hen, theos. Why did I try that? I, keep, I used to have it memorized, now I struggle with it. Um, so, what was your first passage you wanted to talk about? So it is page 129, uh, paragraph 24. From what has been said, it is clear in the fifth place that the image is in its exemplar, for there it receives its whole existence. On the other hand, the exemplar, insofar as it is an exemplar, is in its image, because the image has the whole of existence of the exemplar in itself. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. John fourteen eleven. Man, that's like crazy hard. It is so hard. <laughs> Do we want to pause there before yeah. moving to the sixth? <laughs> Let's try and yeah. figure out. Yeah, we can just try and talk about that one. So okay. um, the image is in its exemplar. For there, meaning in the exemplar, mm -hmm. it, meaning the image, receives its whole existence. What does that mean? Hey, so look at that little note I've got on the side here. <laughs> is it bit abstract in particular? Yeah. Yeah, so that's so it. If yeah. the exemplar is the particular, the image is the abstract. No, I think the other way. I th I think the other way. How so? So exemplar, um, like if I were... Um, let's say that I admired Martin Luther King, right? So then mm -hmm. Martin Luther King would be the exemplar. Um, and then so if I am behaving in a way that Martin Luther King did, then I am behaving in the image of him. Okay. So he's the exemplar and I'm the example. So then I'm, um, I'm 
acting in the image or in the spirit of Martin Luther King. So then the image, meaning me, um, is in its exemplar, meaning not that I'm in Martin Luther King, that wouldn't make any sense, mm -hmm. but that Martin Luther King as the idea, like when we talk about King and King's spirit and what King means, mm -hmm. so then as much as we talk about he's acting like King, um, we don't mean that he talked like him or looked like him or something like that, but that he's behaving in that way. Mm -hmm. So, um, so then the image is in its exemplar, meaning if you're behaving like Martin Luther King, then that part of you that's acting like him is already in him. Mm -hmm. I know it's a weird way to even say it for there in the, in the image, it receives its whole existence. So I feel like maybe I just interpreted that very differently. So you were saying, like, it, if the exemplar is Martin Luther King, and then you, if you act like Martin, like, if you act like him, you're acting in his image. Right. But I feel like the image of Martin Luther King came from martin luther king's behavior like right. that particular yeah he's person. saying that too he's saying that yeah I so think, isn't that yeah. the other way um well he does say on the other hand right <laughs> the exemplar yep insofar as it is an exemplar is in its image mm -hmm. so that's what you're saying right okay i'm, so going, to, I'm going too fast <laughs> yeah um is in its image because the image has the whole existence of the emplar in itself so um, Martin Luther King died. He's not mm -hmm. here anymore. So the only way that Martin Luther King could be, meaning his exemplar is not his person, but his example, mm -hmm. right? his spirit, acting in the spirit. So the only way that acting in the spirit can exist is in a person here and now who mm -hmm. acts. So that would be the image. Um, yeah. Like, I feel like, Almost all of Eckhart is in those two sentences, right? There's so right. much of Eckhart in those two sentences. Yeah. So then should we move on to the sixth? Oh, we don't need to. I mean, if you want. Yeah, sure. Or we can, yeah, we can read ahead, it and decide. Um, um, sixth, it follows that the image and that of which it is an image insofar as they are such are one. The Father and I are one. John 1030. Yep. He says, we are insofar as there is an exemplar that is expressive and begets and an image that is expressed or begotten. He says, one insofar as the whole existence of the one is in the other and there is nothing alien to it there. Yep. Sounds pretty non-dual to me. <laughs> it is very, it is so non-dual. That card is very non-dual, definitely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's saying most of what we've already said. Right. Yeah. Just maybe, maybe could... slightly easier to process. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Do you want to move on to Let's move it. Yeah. page 179? Yep. You raised a really good point here. So, I guess I'll read the whole thing. Or I'll read the area you want me to of read interest. It? And then we, or yeah. you can read it. No, um, no. You read it. Okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so, this is 179, the second paragraph. Middle of the second paragraph. If a man possessed a whole kingdom or all the riches of the earth and gave up the whole of it for the love of God and became one of the poorest men that ever lived on earth, and if God then gave him as much to suffer as he has ever given any man, 
and if he suffered it all until his death, and if God then gave him one single glimpse of what he is in this power, his joy would be so great that all his all this suffering and poverty would be too little. So in other words, if a guy had a whole lot and then lost everything. Job. Yeah, like Job. It's basically Job, right? And then um, then at the end of all of that, if he just gets a glimpse of God, then it somehow then he would have said, suffering. oh, I wish I'd suffered more. Yeah. Rejo- this idea of rejoicing in your suffering. So I raise the question. Yeah. Um, to me, it sounds a little arrogant. <laughs> I feel like, um, you know, you could have everything that you could possibly want and then become so terribly poor but if you got to look at me for even one second, it would make it all worth it. Like, oh, now I understand arrogant. So thinking yeah. about arrogant from God's perspective. I mean, God isn't the one saying it, though. It's Eckhart. Right. Um, it just, but it. But now so I this understand. Is a, yeah. This is not the first time that I have come across this kind of haughtiness right. in yeah. Christian texts. Maybe right. not necessarily. Well, actually, it almost makes me think about Exodus a little bit. Um, I have issues with God in Exodus, but that's a separate topic. Um, Moses is the hero of Exodus. Yes. <laughs> um, and then this this whole Christian obsession with suffering, like everything is about suffering. On this one page, or on the next page, you can see the word suffering just if you just even yeah. glance at it like six times. So, and I, this is another theme that I've seen in a lot of Christian texts. It seems like this this haughty image of God and then followed by all this suffering and rejoicing in the suffering. It's like, well, yeah. or I could just not be suffering. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, there is this celebration of suffering that um, that certainly has been around for a long time in the Christian tradition and still still sticks around. And um, and yeah, it's it's unfortunate. I mean, some of it comes from the Paschal um, Lamb like atonement theory, the idea that Jesus died and suffered for our sins and then therefore that sacrificial lamb has then paid for um everybody and so this was an idea um that wasn't really part of christianity until uh, i guess anselm and that um so like a century or two before this but um but it was there you know earlier in the tradition too um but that that um celebration of suffering has been there um yeah even before the fathers of the church, because like right. the earliest, um, the earliest Christians, Christianity was illegal, you know. So to even profess, profess faith, um, as a Christian, um, yeah, was illegal and to <laughs> were persecuted. You know, I was actually thinking about this the other day. I was watching um, Silicon Valley. Have you seen Silicon Valley? No. <laughs> it is so funny. Um, yeah, I just I watched all of it. It's so funny. Um, I'm really excited about the next season starting like I don't know any day now or something. <laughs> but um, but in one of the episodes, they're launching a new internet, and so they have different companies and they're trying to like start a perfect internet. Uh, they have these high ideals and everything. And one of the guys that one of the guys who's a CEO has um a company. Anyway, he's he. It's like a gay dating company, company, mm-hmm. and um, after, um, like they he was talking to one of the main characters later in private, like they were just buds, and he mm-hmm. mentioned that he was Christian and that he goes to church and all this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and then um, and that later in the episode, um, he announces this the, the main character announces this to the like, mm. to a bunch of other people in a business meeting. <laughs> 
So he basically he outed the gay man as a Christian. And oh, so okay. um so this became a huge problem and because okay. like now homosexuality is very uh, acceptable mm-hmm. but being a Christian is less so. Right. Um but anyway there's um there's a tradition a long tradition of like suffering because of your um because of your faith. Um anyway that was we're going to have to cut all that out. That was Wait, why? Was that? I don't know. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I, I don't know. We, we earlier we were talking about play. That was better. You talk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically, yeah, taking a hit for being Christian. Christian, yeah. So that, like, you know, in the early church, Christianity was illegal, so people were persecuted for being Christian. Right. Um, okay. Yep. And then, like, um, what's his name? Karl Barth said that you know Christianity began with jesus and mm-hmm. ended with um uh with constantine because then constantine mm-hmm. made christianity legal um and then from after that then what do you do with the christianity that's oh yeah legal because christianity was an opposition it was always in opposition to the empire oh. it was about overturning the empire for the liberation of the poor and the oppressed that's what jesus did standing up against the empire which is why mm-hmm. he was killed in a state execution um but then once Christianity became legal, it didn't make sense anymore, okay. right? So then they had to give it a new meaning because, like, well, it can't mean overthrowing the empire because now the empire is Christian, right? Right. Right. So then, <laughs> kind of defeats the purpose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then, um, there came this twisted thing that, like, before it was legal, suffering made sense because suffering was suffering, um, the atrocities and the injustices of the empire in order to stand in, in solidarity with those who are poor and oppressed just i mean that's what like the acts of the apostles it's just you know they right. all die it's like right. a shakespeare you know like a shakespeare play they just one after another dies 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 and they mm-hmm. die in horrible awful ways because they're you know doing exactly what christ did christ mm-hmm. died you know for the sake of others and then saint stephen died and then that converted paul and then paul dies and then peter dies and you know they all die for the sake um, of the mission. But then what do you do when when Christianity becomes legal? So then you get this twisted thing where like the suffering and everything still becomes noble and honored and respected and celebrated. But, like, but now it's no longer against the empire. It's just suffering for its suffering for the sake of suffering. Yeah, it's like it's not. Like, not for the right purpose anymore. It's for no purpose We're anymore. almost suffering for the Empire now instead of... Exactly, right. <laughs> we are suffering for exactly. the Empire. Exactly. No, there's no question. It is fucked up. <sighs> and not only that, if you actually go back and read so much of, like, the slave, like, the, um, a lot of the theologies from the, um, of, you know, slave owners, mm-hmm. um, like Richard Furman, who founded, um my undergraduate university Furman university um so yeah he wrote one of the definitive um christian theological justifications for slavery and it was um part of it it was on that very topic that suffering is a blessing entrusted to some and it's you know yeah (laughs) yes it's dark and it's um yeah it's it's evil Yeah. yeah um i mean eckhart isn't but nevertheless just the celebration of suffering is disturbing. Yeah. Shall we move on? Do you want to play it? 
Once again, uh, this episode of Svadharma is brought by Abby's Blue Hole Brewing Company, Deeper and Wetter. What does deeper and wetter mean exactly anyways? Oh, so deeper and wetter, as I understand it, um, having, you know, being good friends with Shady Buffett, um, (laughs) it's kind of like a double entendre. Like it has two different meanings. One of the meanings is obvious, like, you know, deeper and wetter. They're... It's deep bodied, like the flavor is a full deep flavor, um, so deeply flavored, um, and it's obviously you know wetter than other beers. Um, but there's a second meaning, like this hidden meaning, um, which uh, probably don't people know know people don't know about because it like has to do with their secret beer brewing process. So the Abbey's uses only the wettest water for their beers, um, and so as everyone knows, like the wettest water is on the bottom right so like like you think about when you're in a pool right if you're uh, if part of you is outside of the pool if you're like in the shallow end Mm -hmm. then part of you is dry right Mm -hmm. but if you go down to the bottom of the deep end you're totally wet right because that's where the wettest water is (laughs) so um abby's has this um these new technological inventions like um i think they call them tubes but they like put these tubes down to the bottom of the water and they only use the bottom part of the water so that they always have the wettest water but see that's the thing right that's the joke is that since the wettest water is on the bottom it's also the deepest so deepest and so deeper and wetter clever right yeah no i i think it's thing is pretty good yeah <laughs> so that's it then yeah uh, we'll get better at this podcast thing i think um all right so we want to have our wtf section uh yeah absolutely let's right. uh let's move on <laughs> okay so next donald seg- trump next segment is entitled or our news our news segment is entitled wtf because that is the, the political climate of the United States right now. Is, yeah. <laughs> so, like, um, in July, Donald Trump held uh, withheld $381 million of aid intended for the Ukraine, um, which the Ukraine needed in order to defend itself against Russia, um, who keeps annexing parts of Ukraine. Um, so then he called the president of Ukraine in July... Who, oddly enough, used to be... Did you know that he used to be an actor? Um, who, yeah, he used to be an actor who uh, played on, like, sketch comedy shows in Ukraine. And he played a president. And now he's... He plays the president. Yeah. Now he's actually the president. He, he's actually the president. There's a video, if you can see it, of him playing um, him playing a song on stage with his penis. It's very... <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Um, anyway, so he called... So President Trump called the Ukraine... And said that he wouldn't release the three hundred million dollars unless um, Zelensky found some sort of dirt on Joe Biden's son, which is like already what the fuck, right? Like, right. Um, like is already treason. Um, and sure, I mean Biden's son sounds like he's, you know, shady or whatever. Yeah. But it has nothing to do with Biden, and it also, it's it's also treason, right? <laughs> to to um, withhold it's and blackmail you know of withholding um, right or at least extortion 
So anyway, so then this week it gets even worse because Trump held a press conference at the White House and publicly made the same threat against China. In other words, like, um, it can't possibly be treason if I do it live on TV from the White House. Right. Right. And then so that's and that's the way most people think. It's like, well, if it were illegal, then he wouldn't do it this way. But he is. But he is, because that's the way most people think, right? They don't think, oh, he's doing something illegal on TV because he's stupid. They're like, well, he's not stupid, which he's not. Um, But uh, so he's doing it on TV, which must mean that it's not illegal or treason. Right. So, I mean, it's terrifying to me because I literally have never seen another president in my lifetime with so much power. I mean, he literally has the power to commit treason on TV. Right. And people are just like, okay, yep. Yeah. (laughs) That's just Trump being Trump, you know. Yeah. And he doesn't appoint, he doesn't replace any of the political appointments. They're just, I mean, he has so much power. Mm. Um, Yeah. And so, you know, I mean... The Democrats all know that it's pointless to try and impeach him. But at the same time, like, he's openly trying to manipulate the next election. That's what it is, right? Yeah. So then, like, well, we can't wait until the next election when he's openly going on TV right. and calling on Russia and uh, China and Ukraine to help him fix the next election. Right. Like, the the first one was kind of, like off the books and now it's like proudly now it's like yeah no yeah i got away with it because it's not illegal so now i can legally do it right which is since (laughs) i did it once and everybody said it's okay and no i didn't get in trouble now i can do it as much as i want yeah yeah it's scary which is a problem it's scary and everyone's talking about um yeah memes and um yeah. Plastic straws and not that plastic straws aren't important. Um, yeah. I don't know who chose this plastic straw thing. It's like something to get behind, but I myself am a proponent of the metal straw, but I feel like you can't help but ask yourself if it's a distraction from bigger things. It is yeah. <laughs> Do you really need straws? I don't use straws. So yeah, you can just um drink out of the glass like an adult. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and yeah, use plastic straws for kids. Who needs a straw? Um, use a Twizzler, but talk about other things that matter more. (laughs) (laughs) Like the fact that only 15% of, um, plastic in this country is recycled. Yeah. Largely because the price of petroleum is too low to justify it. Um, but maybe we should be making decisions based on more than the price of petroleum. Last but not least, we we need to end this uh, episode of Swa Dharma with our segment called Homegrown. So as a pretend farmer, I sometimes pretend to give farming advice. So I thought we should have a segment called Homegrown. So do you have any advice for us today? Yeah, sure. Well, everybody knows that it's good to weed your garden. But sometimes that means pulling weeds and sometimes that means not pulling weeds. Why would you do that? For 20 reasons. For 20 reasons? Yeah, for 20 reasons. What are they? I don't remember. (laughs) 
All right. Well, I think that's more than enough for today. Um, so thanks for listening to this very long, very painful episode of Swadharma. I'm Brad. And I'm Rachel. And, and thanks for smoking, smoking the fumes from Delphi with us. <laughs>